You're listening to Capsule 98, the podcast where I interview a slew of iconic guests and we obsess way too much about life in the 90s. Okay, so welcome back to season two of Capsule 98, the podcast that goes inside my brain when I was 13. On this show, I've been lucky enough to talk to so many nostalgic freaks like me who are obsessed with the 90s and the 2000s and are just as obsessed with talking about our awkward teenage years. But every now and then I get luckier to talk to people who actually created the things that I was obsessed with when I was living in the 90s. And today is one of those days. We have Darren Stein and Vicki Barrett, who were who are the director and the costume designer of Jawbreaker, the most fiercely one of the most fiercely iconic movies of the late nineties, if not the nineties entirely. Welcome, Darren and Vicky. How are you? Hi, thank you. Hey. They're joining doing us. Well. Good. They're joining are you peachy fucking keen? <laughs> Always. <laughs> <laughs> Always. Yeah. That your permanent status? Somebody sent a sweatshirt that says "Peachy Fucking Keen." They make they sell them on Instagram, and yeah, I, I love it. Amazing! They are joining us uh, from LA through the magic of the internet. That makes me sound so fucking old to say that, but I think that's the only way to say it. They have like, you know, I'm watching them on a screen. They're watching me on a screen. I'm in Toronto. They're in LA, and they are here for us. So, oh my God, where do I even start? So, I hadn't actually seen Jawbreaker since uh, since like '99 or 2000. Um, at the time, I would have been like. 14, 15, I clearly, a lot of the dark humor would have gone over my head. Um, thank, thankfully, because of Netflix, I rewatched it recently <laughs> and just like lost my shit completely and posted it on Instagram. And I had like kind of one of the biggest responses I've had that was, you know, on a pop culture post, like people just lost their shit, like sharing all their favorite memories and talking about the movie. Um, so I guess for you guys, like looking back almost 20 years later, you know, at the time it was, it was, it's sort of a cult classic. So what are your impressions of it 20 years later and the fact that it's become a cult classic? Vicky, you start. I feel like I talk about this all the time. <laughs> <laughs> you do? Um, uh, I don't know what to say. Uh, I, I'm well, stoked that it became, you no, know, you go. No, it's just that it continues to be discussed and referenced and, er, you know, um, I, get, I think when you make a movie, all you can hope is that it stands the test of time, like so many films don't. And, you know, it's just it's just incredible to see that it gets sort of passed down from generation to generation. How about you, Vicky? Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, I, I'm so stoked that people are still talking about it. That's amazing. And I think it's worth talking about, too. And what do you think about the difference between, I mean... Cult classics, like, you know, in my mind, that's kind of like those the cult classics are the things that that have the biggest status in my, you know, the biggest space in my head. Like, you know, my other favorite cult classic is Showgirls, which at the time, like, really wasn't a big thing, but now kind of has this huge place in pop culture. What do you think about yeah. sort of the fact that it was sort of a slow burn? You know, it wasn't a huge box office hit odd off the top. Um, and it's kind of become this thing. Do you think that there's sort of something that has like almost more cultural currency these days uh, as a cult classic than something that's, you know, maybe more obvious and talked about more often, you know, like in a, in a kind of obvious way, the way that like friends would be talked about? Well, I think show, I think um, true classic when it's released originally under style, like people don't get it. Mm -hmm. It's too dark. It's, it's 
to arch. It's like there's something that doesn't come, and it takes longer for culture to sort of catch up to it in a way. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's what happened with Jawbreakers. I think, but, but people who saw it when it came out really liked it. But it wasn't a lot of people who saw it. It really became big on home video, you know. Mm-hmm. And then it's like you know people write about it, and so it's like if people continue to want to to to, to learn about it and know about it, and that, that's just exciting for us. You know, mm-hmm. how did you come up with this idea in the first place for this like very naughty teen movie? Well, it began as a ho- I had wanted to write a horror movie, and because I, I do love horror, and I'm really excited actually to, to see the Suspiria remake. Um, but it began as a horror movie, and it was like it was going to be the horror of these girls kidnapping their friend on her birthday and accidentally killing her. Because I, I <laughs> did you guys do that in Canada? Did you guys like kidnap your friends on their birthdays in high school or junior high school? No. I don't know if that's oh, really? I don't know if that's like across the board in Canada, but like I I never I never was part of that. Maybe because by the time I was like in high school, Jawbreaker already had happened and we were just like scarred. Oh maybe. <laughs> because I definitely got kidnapped. Really? Oh yeah. Like often? And I was like Oh, yeah, that was like a thing. Jesus. And I know that it's a thing again because I have a thirteen year old and I'm hearing about, oh, they're going to do some kidnapping party. And I'm like, that's awesome. (laughs) Oh, my God. That's, like, terrifying. (laughs) Yeah. I remember my mom sending me to my room, and I didn't know why, and I thought I was in trouble. And she wouldn't let me come out of the room. And I just completely didn't understand. I'm like, what did I do? Why am I, like, grounded to my room? And then all my friends showed up. Oh. It was super cool. There was no jawbreakers involved. Like to like to kidnap you or to just celebrate you? I know to kidnap me and take me to my friend's house for her birthday party. Wow. <laughs> so that's okay. So that's obviously the inspiration. Yeah, I I I was fascinated by that culture and sort of like the femininity of it, the fact that it was girls who did it to girls, and then uh-huh. the kind of inherent violence of it was interesting to me. And I was going to an all-boys school, you know, from 7th grade to 12th grade. Girls, you know, it's hard when you're a gay kid to go to an all-boys school because you need the girls to give you currency, to give you, you know, status and mm-hmm. acceptance in a, in a way. And I don't know. So I knew these girls that got kidnapped. And I was like, oh, what if they kill her? How, does, how would that happen? And then I was like, oh, you know how in those, you know, they use like a ball gag, you know, to mm-hmm. gag somebody with. They're used like in fetish in the fetish scene. Well, I was like, well, what if, <laughs> what if it's a job? What's a teen girl approximation of a ball gag that would be a jobber? Mm-hmm. So then I was like, oh, and that's perfect because that's made of candy and it can melt in her mouth and get stuck in her throat. <laughs> so that's exactly. <laughs> I love this so laugh. Exactly- it's like it's Darren's like fairly brain. like <laughs> yeah. You're like ha ha. So that is what triggered the whole film was the the fact that this seemingly innocuous kidnapping could become a. a lead to a murder or a death maybe a murder Mm. and then what are the ramifications in school how do they get away with it and how does that affect sort of their popularity and sort of the social currency of everyone involved you know Mm -hmm. and and was it was yeah and yeah sorry go ahead no and was it was it premeditated or was it an accident and you know just all those questions that come out of it and so but as soon as the jawbreaker idea came the whole movie the look of the film was born out of that jawbreaker it became about the colors and the jewel tones and also the absurdity of a jawbreaker and the 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 innocence and the fun of it juxtaposed with the this is the candy that can literally break your jaw and maybe Mm. kill you yeah i was gonna say i was like it like how 
possible is that? Because I feel like I've lived in fear of like jawbreakers and night guards ever since. And I'm like, is it actually possible? I guess it is. I don't think it's possible. I mean, I think it's very far-fetched, but that's the whole, that's the whole aesthetic of the movie. Right. That's what allowed us to be able to be so timeless with the, with the design elements and mm. over the top and over the top with them. So one of the questions that yeah. I got, I threw this out on Instagram and um, and asked if anybody had questions for you guys. And one of the questions I get, got was like, why was this, why was it so graphic and traumatic? Because like, you know, younger girls watching it were just like, it's like, like I said, it's like haunted us for so many years. Like the image of the throat and just like so traumatizing. Like where did that aesthetic come from, especially with the rest of the movie being so like colorful and toxically neon well i love like i said i love horror and i love Mm -hmm. grotesque i I like the sort of collision of glamour and grotesqueness you know Mm -hmm. and i just wanted the film to begin in a really hardcore way where people were completely thrown off guard Mm -hmm. and 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 the audience to know immediately that this was a movie where you're going to be safe where you're going to you're going to be challenged you know and, and 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 um pushed as an audience member. And I wanted it to be graphic and scary looking because that's fun. It's sort of fun to really go for it. I mean, because the, the Jawbreaker is such an extreme can- kind of candy. I mean, it, it is so bizarre. You have to admit, even before the film came out, it was a bizarre candy to just exist, you know? Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. Um, With a bizarre name. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And the sex- <laughs> yeah, and there's sexual connotations. Not only are there violent connotations, but there's sexual connotations. I mean, there's actually a gay porn out there called Jawbreaker from the, from the, from the 80s. I think the early '90s. In my research, I saw, I found that out. <laughs> Amazing. Or what are the commonalities? <laughs> um, oh, the, the, the research. Well, <laughs> there, there's. I'm sorry. There's no commonalities aside from the fact that it's a prison. It was like a pr- a prison movie, and it was guy. It was no, it was it was guys behind bars. It was called Jawbreaker because I guess it was a very you know that's that's. A double entendre for you know blowjob. Um, can I say that on your on your podcast? Of course. I don't know. Okay, go for it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but there's that scene in the movie where Rose McGowan makes her boyfriend give the blowjob to the big stick, you know, to the popsicle. Yeah. And that was also uh, kind, of, you know, born of the and also just kind of the kind of scene I I wanted to make, you know, feeling like a gay kid growing up being other, not feeling like I fit into society. I was like, well, what is the scene that I would have liked to have seen in a in a high school movie growing up that I get to see in you know middles or pastimes or Richmond High or something? Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> it's amazing how many gay kids come up to me, gay people in general, gay men and women, who are like, oh my god, that's this is the movie where I knew I was gay. This is that's the scene where I knew. I I was gay. No way. Oh my god, my, v- my VHS is worn out because I re- rewinded it so many times. Um, <laughs> yeah, that... <laughs> uh, yeah, it did. It was pretty provocative. And it's and it was interesting because when we shot that scene, Rose and Ethan, who played Dane, really got into it. They definitely both embraced it because, I guess, as an actor, when do you get the chance to do a scene like that, you know? Totally. And we were also yeah. young. I mean, we were all in our 20s. We had a, we were just having a good time as well. Uh, yeah, I have yeah. a lot of friends who personally responded to that scene as well. Sorry, Vicky, go ahead. <laughs> I didn't say anything. Oh, okay. I thought you were going to jump in with the, like, no. the ball gags and the, the big stick. No, no, that's not me. <laughs> You're like, that has nothing to do with costume. No comment. <laughs> but Vicky, you can talk about, you can talk about what Rose was wearing in that scene. I think she's yes. kind of like, so good. Negligent oh, the lingerie, negligent. the pink, fluffy. Amazingness. Like just that 60s yeah, that dream. That was amazing. I don't remember where I found that or anything. 
I thought it would all come back to me when we talked about it. I don't remember where I found that, Darren. Well, I remember we wanted to have it because the whole peachy keen is taken from, is, the inspiration comes from Greece. That's right. Because the, the design yeah. for this movie, we wanted it to be like 50s meets 60s, a little bit of yeah. you know, punk, fetish, 80s, and then also 90s. And so we were grabbing a lot of references for this. And I think the beauty of that scene a lot of something... 50s and 60s for me. Yeah. And there's a lot of domination happening in that scene. Like she's doming him and making him give head to this big stick or whatever. But we thought it would be interesting to have the room be very girlish and like pink. Feminine. Also boudoir. Something. But yeah. also da lusty, dangerous. But in, the, in a more timeless 50s sort of way, you know, the bed was a heart-shaped bed. I, I, or was it round? No, no. I think it's just a round bed or something. But she had a phone. The phone was a pair of lips. Like a lip yeah. phone that was yeah. in the 80s. I loved that phone. And she, I think, in her hair in that scene had ponytails or something. She was it made she did, to look yeah. very, yeah, very innocent. She, um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because you don't it's, want her in that scene. You wouldn't want her in like you know fishnet garter belt. It would just it would be too odd. Yes. Or just hey, a high school high school girl wouldn't necessarily wear that. But in this, no. in this movie, maybe maybe they would. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, like I, I definitely. There's a big part of, I mean, this movie is impossible to talk about with, without the aesthetic and the visuals of it. Um, you know, you said that everything was inspired, like came from the inspiration of a jawbreaker. How did, I mean, especially the costumes, like they fucking slay me. Like I would wear everything. I, I think I actually have been buying this entire costume without actually knowing that that's what I was buying. How did that come <laughs> together? I mean, I read up, there's like, you know, obviously there's elements of the the fetishistic, and, you know, together with this 50s 60s school sort of thing like how vicky how did that all come together into one sort of sexy mix uh i think well darren and i just kind of went through each character and tried to stay away from black which people don't realize that when you you know everybody puts it into a film but when you take it out of a film on and they're not dressed in it it brings a completely different element to it mm -hmm. that you don't actually know what it is. Mm -hmm. And we really tried to stick with jewel tones and have a color palette for each character. And uh, I definitely was inspired from 50s and 60s mm -hmm. and making it, bringing it contemporary, you know? And I wanted a look that hadn't been done yet. There's sort of this 50s, 60s, I've talked about this before on the podcast about how sort of that there was a period in the in the 90s when it really was kind of like 50s and 70s that all came out into its own thing which to me it's like obviously jawbreaker takes inspiration from the 50s and 60s but it's this it's its own thing because of the neons and just how bright yeah. and like almost like sickly sweet some of them are um mm -hmm. and that sort of and then that's became like that's become like canon of that aesthetic which is really like a blend of all these things together yeah it is definitely that's what and there's also i remember when vicky yeah also, Vicky and I are both are very like just into anything fashion forward, mm -hmm. and so yeah, we, I think together she yeah, so together she and I like punk rock is a major influence for both of us, goth even, you know, eighties and the future of fashion like stuff we haven't seen, and so mm -hmm. it was exciting to get together with Vicky and create looks that just were interesting personally, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Totally. Like, like, we were, she it was like she yeah we had a lot of fun in, like yeah well vicky you know she's really a visionary you are vicky you're a vision and she came into this and inspired we inspired each other so it was yeah, really definitely. exciting to be able to meet somebody who could read your mind like mm -hmm. you know um and it's challenging like like rebecca gayhart's wearing what is that it's like a fetish skirt for the whole her whole first look it's like a 
It's, yeah. not, it's latex. It's like rubber was or it, latex. It was a purple latex. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Just like they all wear in high school. <laughs> yeah. Which is ironic because yeah. she's not quite that character. Like she's more, she's more sweet. I right. guess that's before she softens. Yes. I think it was also a way through costumes to signal that she, you know, has edge. Even though, you know, she's the good girl of the group. It was just showing, oh, but she's edgy because look at she's in that skirt. Um, yeah. You know, <laughs> I remember her complaining a lot because she was like, because they were in that look for three days straight because the, oh, the whole first 30 minutes of the film yeah. in that look. That was a long time. And it was hot, I guess, under that. Oh, yeah. That is that is t- pretty torturous, especially in L.A., right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I also remember, you know, me and Vicky had planned, you know, because that slow motion walk is sort of like the moment in the, in the beginning of the film that establishes their dominance over the high school. And you're very, you know, cognizant of, okay, well, this first look is important because that's the look they do the walk, you know, and they're in it for yeah. a lot of <laughs> I remember Vicky and I wanted Rose to wear that corset in that scene. And it was like a piped, remember the red piped corset? Yes. And then the executive was like, no high school girl would wear that, you know, to school. <laughs> and so the scene where Ms. Sherwood's like, and please cover your bosoms. This is a learning institution. It's not a brothel. And then she puts that red cardigan on her. That was added yeah. because it was a note. It was a note because he didn't want her going to school in just the corset. And which was actually probably a good note. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a good note. Because <laughs> Darren and I would have pushed it too far. And Exactly. exactly. Yeah, I mean, it, it ended up working. I Did you buy all these clothes? It. Or did you make them? No, I made a lot of them. Not made them, made them from scratch. Like I went to, we didn't have much of a budget and I was pretty green. So I took the budget very seriously, which I probably Mm -hmm. took it a little too seriously. (laughs) So I didn't go over, which I should have. Um, So I did a lot of thrift shopping and just tailoring it all. Like I'd buy a, a dress that was 10 sizes too big, but take it all in. I liked the pattern or I liked the color or the basic shape of it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was mostly that. And then I did do some like downtown. I went to the, like um, the Mart and would buy like samples of stuff, you mm-hmm. know, that design, like to do the showrooms and buy samples. That course, it definitely came from a showroom. It was a sample. So it, it was nice because it was stuff that wasn't in the stores yet. Mm-hmm. I was gonna say, I feel like it was so forward thinking that I don't even think it would be really, like I don't think I don't see all of that just like you walking up into like a gap and seeing all that stuff. It's so specific uh, and yeah. so. No, you know. it was none of it. It came from department stores or stores. Yeah, mm-hmm. like vintage and things like that. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's funny because Heather, and obviously Heather's is an influence on this movie. I, I loved Heather's. It's my and um, I love Heather's. I always, and I always appreciated the fashion and that was so you know outside of high school they were wearing these like 80s dynasty power suits or whatever you know like yeah and that's and we and we wanted jawbreaker to do that but without being heathers you know without without cribbing that style mm-hmm. and it's funny because yeah. i do feel like what we created turned out to be more timeless than what heathers created fashion wise 100 <laughs> percent. yeah Go, I mean, oh, Nikki. yeah it did so i i read something that uh that columbia tristar would only finance the movie if you got Natalie Portman, Kate Winslet, or Rose McGowan to star in it. Yeah, those were the three names the executive gave gave me, and That's uh, we got so re- crazy. You can't. I can't imagine anybody other than Rose McGowan in that role. You know, you can't. 
I mean, she, I think like, like Vicky and like me, like all of us, I think we all became, it was such a great collaboration between the three of us specifically. Um, Cause Rose is really into fashion, right, Vicky? Yeah. Yeah. Um, she I remember this super one. super fun to work with. Yeah. Like she wanted to push the envelope as well. Like we were all push, we were all yeah. pushing the envelope. I'm not interested. I don't like movies where I, I, I want to. I don't necessarily lean, I lean a little bit more to the out of reality experience. I don't like to go watch a film to look at people dressed in the gap. It doesn't interest me. You know, I don't like anything that's really basic, you know, in life generally. Um, and yeah, me either. Yeah. So we're just excited about like doing something fresh and new and exciting. Like we were like, okay, well, and we, and we had rules. We were like, okay, the, these girls don't carry backpacks. They all carry vintage purses. You know, that was one, yeah. one thing we, you know, they would never, yeah, no backpacks. you know, yeah. Um, and then the seams where the, the books come from, but it's not going to be mm-hmm. a backpack. <laughs> yeah. And then I think, and, and then Vicky had the idea to dye the seams up the back of their stockings, the same color as their outfits, which was really brilliant. Remember that? The attention to detail is insane. Like just the, like the accessories and the seamings and everything like the, that's the sunglasses just on their own are just like in, insane, like just insane. How do you match all those? Like, did you go in there saying like, okay, we need lime green, everything we need, like, purple everything uh i think it was more about i did get a i can't remember the brand's name but i had it was dita they helped me out a lot yeah it was dita right it was dita yeah yeah. and um yeah no i just had like their entire collection of glasses to pick from yeah i remember vicky was so resourceful because you know this we didn't have a big budget this was not a big studio budget and she was able to like call Diesel and Dita. It was and, like, tiny. Yeah, but you were able to call all these companies and get the hook. Yeah, and I think that's what gives yeah, the movie. Yeah, I had cool. done a TV show for a few years, so I had some hookups with some people. But that really came in handy. Like I don't think people do that anymore. Like these days, it's much different. But um, yes, thank God for all the people that helped us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it's the it's the accessories that brought the. Nut- that brought the '90s edge to the more, you know, retro fashions sometimes, because like, like, like the sunglasses, for instance, like you, you know, you saw Kurt Cobain wearing similar sort of shades in the '90s. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, yeah. And Vicky, remember? I remember you gave me a pair of Dita sunglasses too. Remember with the with the yellow lenses, the blue oh, yeah. with the yellow lenses. And I yes. wore those for like I wore those for a couple of years afterwards because I loved them. They were so fierce. Um, <laughs> so but, how did? But, but also the t- yeah yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Oh yeah, I was going to mention the scene when Rose is having sex with Marilyn Manson with her with the dead body under the, under the bed. Yeah, that was supposed to be one of our influences. Was like kind of film film noir, like a high school version of noir, of like of that darkness. Because like Twin Peaks, like you know Laura Palmer, yeah. you know was going into the underworld and you know selling her body and doing drugs, and Rose McGowan similarly. Courtney goes to the sleazy bar, picks up a guy. And has sex in the bed, and she's wearing a purple corset and a dog collar. <laughs> Remember that, Vicky? It was like a yeah like a diamond. It's like a diamond bedazzled. It had like a lock on it or something. It was like a yeah. choker. Um, yes. But I just remember getting very excited and being very dazzled by like everything that Vicky would show would show me costume wise because it just got me very excited. You know, it's crazy how much of that stuff appears in my wardrobe. It's like pretty much like exactly. It's crazy. I like it's it's just incredible. Um, 
So uh, speaking about the rest of the cast, like, you know, like I said, like Rose McGowan is sort of a natural fit for this. How did the rest of the cast come together? Rebecca and, and Julie well, and everybody? Um, Julie, Julie Benz just came in a red and I really liked her because she was funny. Like she brought a humor to the character that wasn't necessarily on the page. And then, of course, we had to cut her hair. We gave her a bob because we had to make her cool. <laughs> Remember that, Vicky? <laughs> she, had, she had like long yeah. blonde hair. And, and then he looked like a mom Nat, in the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> and then we were gonna, <laughs> and then we were gonna cast God. What's her name? From she's all that, Rachel Lee Cook. The actor, yeah, Rachel Lee Cook originally was gonna be Rebecca's role. No, and she read with, yeah, yeah, she read, <laughs> no. she read with Rose and Julie, and didn't understand. She just didn't have the same camp. Like she didn't understand the archness of it, you know. Yeah, because one of the things we yeah. wanted to do with this was, I love what I love about Greece is that. None of them look like they're in high school. Like I think that's hilarious, and I think that's what makes. I Greece too. I think that so... was genius. Yeah, and I think it's what makes Greece so iconic. Is that like they're such they're so like such adults. And they're so they're so sexy, and so it was a self conscious decision to cast this and not feel realistically high school. Mm-hmm. And Rachel, I think Rachel also Rachel also looked realistically high school, whereas Rebecca Gayhart does not. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. so that yeah. was great. And then Judy Greer was like a last minute discovery. Like we, we remember we, we cast this film, Hedy Berez and she got a pilot and she yeah. did the movie and we had two weeks until production or it was like 10 days and we did not have Fern and Violet. We were screwed. I felt like it was yeah. less. It was probably yeah. less. Might've been like five, might've been a week. It was less. Yeah. Yeah. Cause then I remember the casting director saying, oh, this girl, Judy Greer just got acting school. She's so great. She came in and she literally was dazzling. And we promptly like dyed her hair platinum, cut her hair and dyed it platinum blonde. And that was that. Yeah. <laughs> it's so, it's so that. crazy. It's so crazy also that so many of these actresses have kind of gone on to play like those roles have become kind of the like structure for their role. Like Rose McGowan is all is not, not always, but I mean, kind of always this badass role. And now, especially in the, in the public eye, she's become like badass in a different way. Um, and, and Judy Greer as well has kind of always been this like quirky sort of surprise shooter. And I don't know, do you feel like yeah. that's because of Jawbreaker? You can't say one movie does every, I mean, these, these girls have personalities and you know, they are who they are, you know, mm-hmm. but I do feel like Jawbreaker was a place that fully embraced their, their, them as women and their gifts as comics as you know actresses as you know yeah horses julie as, ben yeah was so funny in jawbreaker like she her comedic she's just on point and but julie ben like does not get, that, get to see that that often doesn't get cast she doesn't get cast in comedies and she's hilarious I don't know, and she's so you funny know? i love her foxy necklace because it's you know it's like anybody who really thinks that they're that sexy like would never wear that necklace. Yeah. <laughs> Although to be honest, I wear those necklaces, but you know, it's like it's just too on the nose, like where it makes it, you know, it really like communicates the visual of her being a bit of a an, an idiot. Yeah. Well, that's a, well, another that's trend nickname, that Vi- Yeah, Foxy was her nickname cuz her, her last name is Marcy Fox. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. but Vicky had that had that made and that's another trend from the movie that the movie I think really did start with, with, with those like little necklaces that say your name and have little catchphrases on them. Yeah. Yeah. I'm wearing one right now. <laughs> oh, good. What does yours say? It just says my name, but I also have ones that say sexy and just all sorts of different stuff. Like yeah. very on the nose, very mercy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
So how did Marilyn Manson come into the picture? I'm assuming through Rose. Yeah, she was dating him. And I asked her, I was like, hey, do you think Manson would like play, would he play prom? Or perhaps it could be that sleazy guy that, you know, your character seduces at the bar. And she's like, I can ask him. And she asked him and he said yes. And it was super fun because he came, he was actually on the set quite a bit. And he was really fun to hang out with. Yeah, Yeah, he was really into it. Yeah. He was really into the costume, and, he was, and yeah, he was super fun. Yeah, because Vicky dressed him in Sergio Valente. Oh, it was like all Sergio Valente, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then we gave him that, porn, that fake Valente. mustache. Yeah, it was a, and, it was a vintage. It was like a vintage Sergio Valente suit. Yeah, I remember you was. were like you were really excited about that. Yeah. And that was a, that was that that was that year that they showed up at the MTV Awards with her backless dress, right? That was that big moment. Yeah. Yeah. That was yeah, right well, after. They were so iconic as a couple. It was like, yeah, it was, it truly. was, it was just, it was stupid. Like I remember going to their house once and like <laughs> they were renting some house in the hills somewhere and the bathroom, the guest bathroom looked like a Mac counter exploded. Like there was makeup everywhere. And you, you weren't <laughs> sure if it was like his, if it was his or hers, you know what I mean? Cause they both wore tons of makeup and it was just awesome. <laughs> How yeah. long did the whole thing That's take true. you to shoot? I think it was like a month. It was a fast shoot. It was wow. maybe five weeks. It was really fast. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This movie five was weeks. made. It was made. Yeah, it was made for three point five million dollars, which was a fraction of what the other films were getting made at at that mm-hmm. time. Because it was that. It was that. It was actually made by Columbia Tricer Home Video. It was not made by the big studio. Right. You know. So How- it didn't. Ha- I mean, it, what it was released on eight hundred screens, but the other films of the same genre, like Cruel Intentions and Can't Hardly Wait and stuff, would be. Those would be released on. 2000 screens so okay you know they had a bigger imprint than jawbreaker but the fact that jawbreaker went on and still coexists in the lex in the cultural zeitgeist absolutely with those movies is, i think a testament to the movie itself because it didn't have the it didn't have that same kind of marketing mm-hmm. or exposure i also love that um yeah. yeah sorry vicky go ahead i didn't say anything oh okay sorry uh, I also was reading the Roger Ebert review at the time, which which said that oh I, my I, knew God. High, <laughs> I knew high school comedies were desperate for new ideas, but J- Jawbreaker is the one, the, the, the first one I've seen that a bad girl is stoned with corsages. It's like such an iconic visual. I know that's meant to be like a diss, but that is just such an iconic visual. <laughs> you know what's so interesting? He, he vehemently hated the movie and had a very personal personal reaction to it. I think it's because, you know, he was a writer on Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, which is also an iconic cult movie. And I think he was jealous. I think he just saw a lot of himself in that movie or whatever, you know? Really? Because Beyond the Valley... Yeah, because Beyond the Valley of the Dolls is a huge influence on me, and it's a camp masterpiece, you know? Mm. Um, but, you know, if you look at the He was a writer Times, on that? Or, yeah. That's fascinating. Isn't it? I know. It's so good. But, um, you know... The movie got some really good reviews too, like in the New York Times or Rolling mm-hmm. Stone and different places. But, you know, some people had very negative reactions to it, and that's mm-hmm. fine also. But they were like white, straight, middle aged men. Yeah. Who, I mean, that's why it was, it's the, film was, the film wasn't made for them. Uh-huh. Yeah, totally. <laughs> you know? Totally. I always think about <laughs> no. those movies that, that have become these cult classics and like what they would be if they were released in 2018, where like irony sort of, you know, lives. And there's, you know, many different perspectives on something like a teen movie, whereas the 90s, like, for as groundbreaking as it was, it was still pretty straight and pretty specific. So I'm, I'm always curious 
what would happen if it was now? Ooh, I don't know. I feel, I, feel like, I feel like Jawbreaker is hard to get made now. I think, mm-hmm. I think the closest approximation to Jawbreaker now to me is something like Assassination Nation, mm-hmm. which I just saw, which is great, which I, I think will become a cult movie. Yeah. Because Assassination Nation was released. It didn't necessarily make the biggest imprint at the moment, but the people who are meant to see it will discover it and they'll love it. And it's really got, it's got great fashion and it's got a great sort of, uh, icon, you know, sort of like a, uh, it's about female empowerment and it's about, you know, sort of like a modern day interpretation of the Salem witch trials. It's just very over the top and violent and in your face, you know, mm. I think there's so much out there now with, with all the, you know, streaming places and cable and movies and there's just, you're, you're, it's going to be hard for things to become. Yeah. It's going to be hard for things to become iconic and ha- like, yeah. it's almost like the whole cult culture of movies is going to disappear because there's too much, yeah. There's just too much of everything. Yeah. And you know, one group we, click to something. I agree. And back in the day, you know, we didn't call things iconic. Like today, the word right. iconic is, is, is used yeah. very casually. You know, it's like people will say, oh my God, have you guys seen, you know, the poster for, for Sabrina? So iconic. It's like, oh really? But it hasn't come out yet. Um, right. You know? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, 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 in uh, in defense of using it in this term, I think Jawbreaker truly is iconic. I will take that. I will say that, and I will call it that. It's like much more iconic than a poster. I mean, but the poster is also amazing. While we're talking about that, um, I was just gonna say I was I lost my train of thought with um, Assassination Nation. I haven't seen it yet. I interviewed Hari for that, and then I never I actually it. saw the movie. Have you seen it, Vicky? I haven't. Now I will. I, well, yeah. If Darren tells me to see something, I'll see it. Yeah, you'll like it. You'll like it. The the fashion in it is crazy. I believe it's, you. It's just so. Oh, good. The visuals are awesome. Yeah, it's. Is it it's, still it's out? Wild. It's not, but I'm sure it'll be like streaming in, in no time. Yeah. But yeah. you know, it's okay. cool. In this click, in this click of high school girls, there's actually a trans actor. A trans girl is part of their their group, and it's like never really like, and it, and it's just like the, it just presents it as it is. It's not even an issue, which is great. Oh, that's good. So how how did you guys initially come together on this project? I think he, I, I went for an interview, right? I think yeah. I, I think Clint brought me in to interview with you. And how did you know Clint? Right? I knew how Clint you know for my uh, costume designer Michael Kaplan. And Clint oh, right. are best friends. Who is Clint? And okay, Michael so my, Clint is the executive on the executive movie. Executive producer. Got it. And Michael Kaplan designed Blade Runner and Fight Club. Yeah, he's Just, you know, an little, amazing costume yeah, designer. Yeah. Mm. And Vicky, Vicky actually was Mona May's assistant on Clueless and Romeo and Michelle. Yeah, I interviewed yes. Mona, Mona last season on the show. Yeah, was, I heard that. There's yeah, I worked of... with her for years, and on Night of the Roxbury. No, I didn't work on that. The other one, uh, Romeo and Michelle, and Never Been uh, Kissed, maybe. No, the um, Adam Sandler one. A couple of Adam Sandler. Oh, Wedding ones. Singer. That was so Wedding fun. Singer. Yeah, and Wedding Singer. Wow. And you also did the Clueless, Clueless the, TV show. the movie, and then I did Clueless the TV show, yeah. Which which really needs to come back into the lexicon, I think, of pop culture. I haven't seen that one in like ages. The, t- the TV show <laughs> know, is kind of hard to my find. TV show. It is hard to find. Yeah, yeah. I'm waiting for someone just to put it up on a on something and donate it to us. Yeah, I want my um, kid to see it and his friends. Yeah, uh, you don't have access to it personally. Mm-mm. So did I? Re- okay, so I read. I, I could be wrong. Is is there a Jawbreaker television series in the works? We wrote it. 
for E. It was a uh, we sold it as a pitch, wrote it for E, and they they did not move ahead with it. So it didn't happen at E. And then we talked to Netflix about it, but they they have a show called In- Insatiable, I think. Yeah, that they thought it, it was too similar to, which is weird because it's not even a high school thing. It's a, a complete reboot where it was like a group of like you know like sort of women in LA who are like internet influencer types and they accidentally kill a stripper <clears throat> a male stripper at a bachelorette par- one of their besties bachelorette's parties bachelorette parties with a jawbreaker ball gag and the jo- <laughs> the jawbreaker breaks off the ball gag and, and gets stuck in his throat so it, it has the same sort of like opening as the movie but it's a whole mm. reimagined sort of wor- world and then they have to the stripper's like meffy girlfriend finds out these rich LA bitches killed <laughs> her her dude and they make her over into one of them so it's still the whole fern violet trope and it's the jawbreaker and it's the style and, and it's the the vernacular but it's not high school mm-hmm. interesting it was a well, really maybe, fun script yeah maybe that'll go somewhere you know yeah you never know it, it might and we're also developing it as a musical for the stage which has been a, a very long process i mean musical theater takes forever but that's been a lot of fun that's you amazing. Know. When is that come? Is, yeah. is is there any date on that? There's no date yet. We're still in the process of like finding finding out a fi- financing for it and the right theater and venue and all that. It would be probably like a club show kind of thing where uh-huh. you're like dancing the whole time and you know like off Broadway like a, like a Hedwig experience. You know, mm-hmm. like you could like you could see Mean Girls on Broadway, then you could see Jawbreaker at the club, and you know it's a whole you know, it's a little bit of an edgier experience. You know, like a That's more immersive incredible. thing. Yeah. That sounds great. Awesome. It's been really fun. Yeah, you know, Liz, I don't know if you know Liz, Liz Gillies on the new Dynasty, the new TV TV series Dynasty. Liz plays like the evil, I guess, the, the queen bitch of that show. She played Courtney in a reading in New York of the musical. She was perfect. incredible. People always say yeah, I look she, like her and I don't see it at all. But people always say that. I'm like, okay. Well, I, it's, it's a compliment. Definitely, definitely a compliment. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. especially if she plays Courtney, that would be the dream. Yeah, yeah. And then JoJo, who was in my my last film GBF, she was in she did she did a reading in New York as well, which was kind of fun. Uh, you're always yeah. sharing a lot of fan love on Instagram. What's like? What's been the most surprising thing that's kind of like lived on or became a sensation from huh. the movie? Surprising. I think I think one of yeah one of the things that I'm very always interested in is like the jawbreaker ball gags that are sold in as fetish first fetish play. <laughs> I, think those are, I think those are fascinating you know there, there's actually a drag queen from rupaul's drag race named violet tchotchke who's actually big in the fashion world now yeah and she's she's sort of like a dita von Teese type totally and at the i remember the first drag con she was selling jawbreaker ball gags and oh and then oh another good thing was jeffrey jeffrey star who has a huge makeup empire now back in the myspace days he he was a, a jawbreaker fan and his tagline on myspace was i killed the teen dream this is this is like back in you know the early two thousands, and yeah. he put out a lip he put out a lipstick called Jawbreaker, which is like this bright blue color, which you know everyone ripped off. And then he did a palette of eyeshadows called Beauty Killer, and one of the eyeshadow colors is called Courtney. Mm. So I kind of love it when the movie influences makeup. I think that's really fascinating. Yeah, I yeah, mean, that, to me, it's such a natural connection. It is. It is. It's funny because yeah. you you're asking how we met, you know, Jonathan, you know, who works at Beauty BeautyCon, and we were talking about doing a, a legitimate jawbreaker line of cosmetics, you know, with the, with the studio's blessing, which I, th- which I still think is a great idea, you yeah. know, because you know when I was writing this, when I was writing the script, 
I was really into like Urban Decay was doing like colors called like Rust and like, you know, uh, like in the movie Demented, Demen you know, Dementia, whatever. You know, that, that yeah. was happening in the mid in the mid 90s with Urban Decay. And I wrote it into the script, you know, when Marcy's like, these are called Demented, you know? <laughs> and then Decay, you know. So, and it's funny because now Urban Decay, you know, has colors called Jawbreaker. And so it's like, I love, I love that they it's influenced come full me. Circle. And and, and that, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm actually writing a film now for Lionsgate based on a YA novel that I'll be directing. Amazing. Uh, which, is, which is based on a YA book called Kill the Boy Band. And it's basically Jawbreaker meets Hard Day's Night. It's kind of like these, fa these, yeah, it's like these fifteen-year-old fangirls who are obsessed with this like One Direction type British boy band, and they go to see the band at this like fancy New York hotel, and they end up abducting one of the members into their hotel room, and he dies in there under dubious circumstances, and they have to like figure <laughs> out what to do with the body. <laughs> they have to get the body out of the hotel, and like it's about fan culture. It's super fun. But the writer was, you know, obviously influenced by films like Heather's and Jawbreaker. And now here I am adapting it as a movie. So that's like another full circle moment. Totally. I'm mm -hmm. actually surprised that that, didn't ha that that movie was never made in the 90s. That was such a raw moment for boy band and fandom. Like, you know, I definitely experienced that near like murderous, like love of boy bands. Yeah, we're going to um, it's going to feel like a 90s movie, which is cool. Because you don't really get to see yeah, because you oh, awesome. see those these days. Yeah, so it's going to be very 90s and, um, you know, like Jawbreaker, outrageous and fashion and absurd and dark and fun. You know, you still get to see, like, I feel like Assassination Nation is uber violent. I mean, it's, 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 it's you know, it's, it's like a Tarantino version of Jawbreaker, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, that's um, what I picture. But, yeah, but Kill the Boy Band will still be a film that you can, you know, take your... 12 year old you know daughter to see her 13 year old daughter and she can have a little thrill dark thrill with it you know <laughs> and it, and it'll still appeal to like you know people like us, like our age who grew up with these movies you know there's this there's this seems to be this trend towards like very extra extravagant death like have you been have you been watching the roman the romanoffs yet i haven't <sighs> no is it great it's uh i wouldn't call it great it's um oh. It's okay. There are certain episodes that are there. There's one that's great. There's two that are not. Um, but there's just a lot of like very strange like death situations where you're like, oh, that would kill you. Okay. Um, like it kind of reminds me of like, a jawbreaker <laughs> moment where you're like, really, is that like actually possible? Um, but yeah. <clears throat> well, 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 you know, you asked about the grotesqueness of that opening. You know, with the big lump in her throat and yeah. how ugly that, that how, how how macabre that was. Well, the reason why I did the big lump was because I was I was commenting on the fact of, on the absurdity that this would never this could never happen anyway. Yeah. So if I'm already going to do a death that's completely over the top, I may as well do a big lump that looks ridiculous. So I didn't intend for the lump to be as disturbing, I guess, as it ended up looking. I remember, I remember the day <laughs> when we when I walked in and I saw Charlotte, the actress who played Liz, with the big lump. Vicky, were you you were there, weren't you? <laughs> Yeah. Gnarly. It was gnarly. It was gnarly. It was really gnarly. It was we gnarly. So I was like, wow, I used to yeah. love Jawbreakers. I don't know if I can do it anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that Speaking about actresses coming together, how must it have been? I always wonder about playing a role where you really don't say anything. You have like two lines. How did that come together for her? She 
had a great time doing it because she, I think she just was stoned the whole time, you know, so she's, because <laughs> she was, because she was wearing these, like, these contacts that gave her those dead, those corpse eyes, you know, yeah, those dead eyes. And she's had fun because she's got carried around by, you know, Rose and <laughs> the other girls and she got to lay in a trunk and just chill out. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> no, but, but I will say, I will reference it. The scene when she's swimming in the pool and comes up out of the water in slow motion, mm-hmm. like she was perfect. She was perfect for that because she was like this symbol of you know pristine beauty. And that actress had been a beauty. I think she was like a Miss a Miss America, a Miss Teen America or something like that. I remember she has one of those one of those um, distinctions. But she was. Um, I remember recently watching a Lana Del Rey video a few years ago, a year or two ago, and Lana Del Rey rises out of the pool in slow motion, and I was like, oh, that was yeah. so jawbreaker, you know. Yeah, absolutely. That is like a pretty traditional like trope of beautiful lady coming out of the the water. Yeah, but I was yeah, yeah I didn't create I didn't create that. <laughs> I, I think I was influenced by probably like totally hates and you know fast times Richmond high. And then that goes back obviously to like Exc- Excalibur, like the Lady of the Lake. <laughs> what did uh what did you grow up on like what, what were your influences growing up? You were saying Heather's liked, obviously I, was a big thing. I liked teen movies, but I also liked, you know, dark stuff like Alien Rocky Horror, The okay. Hunger, all that jazz, you know, Clockwork Orange, you know, um, oh, Rock and Roll High School. I love the Ramones. I was just really into like punk. Oh, Sid and Nancy was a really big influence on me when I was in high school. So I, I like like rock biopics, but any, anything that sort of pushed the envelope aesthetically and, mm. you know, th- thematically, I got, I got into, you know, mm. like with horror, I wasn't so much into the slashers. I was more into like, you know, The Shining and The Exorcist and The Hunger, you know, like, I don't know, like, uh, or Near Dark, you know, Catherine Bigelow's first film, a vampire mm-hmm. film from the, from the 90s, which was like more mm-hmm. of like a spaghetti, spaghetti Western. But yeah, you, I liked the dark stuff. Yeah, I have the same, same exact influences, Clockwork Orange, The Hunger. That's, I think, why we bond so closely. Yes. Yeah, it was, it was yeah. lucky. We, we had a fusion, a fusion. Fusion yeah. aesthetics and the DP Amy Vincent, she brought a really gorgeous look to the movie too. I mean, because uh-huh. we yeah, wanted the movie did. to look. I mean, we wanted the movie to look like saturated as hell and just like flawless, you know, with these wide angle lenses and and these because these girls were like Russ Meyer babes, right? Absolutely. In that they were powerful, mm-hmm. but in the context of an actual high school movie, it was you know, like the scene when Fern's walking down the street. That was a complete reference to. Carrie, you know, in the De Palma Carrie, when Carrie's walking down the street and she's clutching her books, and the kid's like, creepy Carrie, creepy Carrie, and she crash. he makes the kid crash, she makes the kid crash on his bike. Mm-hmm. Or when, you know, when Violet, when Fern, like, smells the flower and she pulls it away and there's that big bug in there, you know? I definitely wanted the darkness to feel, you know, tangible and real. And I think that's another reason why it's a cult movie is because, you know, cult movies have extremes that you don't always get to see in in quote-unquote normal movies mm-hmm. and jawbreaker is extreme in its sexuality in its in its darkness in its fashion mm-hmm. and those are things that people get excited by because mm-hmm. you know not not everyone thinks that way it's also rare to see a teen movie where the where the women are sort of in control and on top yeah the men are really just very away character like I, I i was very conscious yeah i was like ethan like courtney's boyfriend is arm candy literally like he's not meant to be serviced as a character mm-hmm. he's meant to be like i wanted to subvert the idea of like all those teen movies where the girl was just a girlfriend like i wanted the boy just to be a boyfriend you know mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and it's um, also they also th- their sexuality doesn't really have much to do with the male gaze. Like it's sort of sexual. The sexuality and the power sort of come together for me, rather than being sexual mm-hmm. for somebody else's attention, because they don't really right. give a shit, actually. Right. Exactly. Or at least Corny yeah. doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. No, she just wants to screw, you know, screw with him. Yeah. Um, humiliate him. Hum- she wants to humiliate him for her own pleasure. Yeah. I mean, really? she's leagues ahead of him in terms of intellect. She, he didn't even really understand her basic direction. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and I remember I, the actor who. The yeah, sorry, go Dane, ahead. Actually, the, the guy who played Dane, uh, I remember him saying that he really enjoyed it. Like, he enjoyed shooting that, too. He had a good time with it. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. So are you guys going to work together again, I hope? I would love oh, to. Oh, yeah, I hope so. We, yeah, we, we, we tried. We tried in my last movie, GBF, but the budget wasn't, wasn't that big on it. But I did get to shoot a scene in Vicky's house, old house. Remember that, Vicky? Oh, yeah. Yep. Did you see? Did you, Randy? Have you seen GBF? No, I haven't yet. But I'm going to run today. You should to watch it. it. Oh, you have to see it's it. It's on. It's on Netflix. But there's a okay, scene, great. a party scene in the house, and I was like, Vicky, you know, this was a super low budget movie, and I was like, Vicky, can we use your house? And she let me use her house, which is the coolest <laughs> gesture a friend can do, because you know she works in, you know, on movies and TV, and she knows what it's like having a production in, in your house, especially a party scene. Totally. So that was really. Sweet. I couldn't be there really though. Sweet. I was like, "You can use it, but I can't be here to see it. <laughs> I have right. to go away. Return it to right. me in in its former glory." Yeah. Right, exactly. Cool. Well, thank you guys so much for for joining me. I uh, like I said, it's like it's such a it's such a pleasure to actually talk to people who are cre- responsible for creating the things that I was so obsessed with as a kid. Because a lot of the people, you know, most of this podcast is just like going to town on things that were so inspirational for us, but it's really nice to hear the insight from what, you know, what it was like to actually work on these projects. So thank you guys so much for joining me. Thank you for having us. Thank you. It was nice to flash back. Yeah. And I, and I, um, my outfit is a tribute to, to Vicky and, and Courtney today. I love it. Inspired me. Uh, where, where can, where can everybody find you on, on social media? If, if anybody wants to creep you guys. I'm Vicky Vicky Disco. Mm Mm-hmm. B-I-K-K-I. And I'm just Go. and I'm just Darren Stein uh, on uh, on Instagram and Twitter. Okay, and there so people are probably going to stalk you now, and then they're going to also uh, demand the club version of Jawbreaker. We're working on it. Yeah. We're working on it. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Okay, thank you guys so much. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, you guys can catch these guys on Instagram and catch me at Capsule ninety eight. And that's about it. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Bye, Bye guys.